Something wonderful's happening tonight, ladies. I can feel it. Come on, give me a little roar. Let me hear your roar. Oh, man, I'll try to focus. Give me a little roar, lion. Welcome to the Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And this week, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo and Brian Farver. How are you guys doing today? Doing very well. How about you, Brian? Doing dandy. Thank Great. you for asking. Great. This week, we're covering two films that are being released in theaters and VOD, Jungle Land and Let Em Go. In addition to our discussion of Jungle Land, we're also going to welcome filmmaker Max Winkler to the show, where he'll discuss the making of the movie and a whole lot more. But before we get to the movies this week, I need to do my spiel. The Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. And as always, if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, you know, wherever you guys find your fine programs such as this. All right. So before we get to, to Max and Jungle Land, let's talk about Let Him Go. It's a new thriller that is about a retired sheriff and his wife who are grieving over the death of their son and go out on a journey to find their only grandson who is in the custody of a family that is not so nice, uh, to put it mildly. The film stars Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, and Leslie Manville. And uh, I want to go to Mike first. Why don't you tell me what you think about this movie? Sure. Uh, I th- I thought it, all in all it was pretty good. Uh, seeing the previews, I was expecting uh, maybe more of a, a Costner's Taken kind of film. So I was pleasantly surprised that it was a lot more character oriented and uh, <clears throat> not necessarily this action fest that uh, I, maybe some people are wanting, but I don't uh, or I don't particularly need to to see you know Kevin Costner and Diane Lane just. Uh, going hog wild on people the whole movie, but uh, needless to say, it does get pretty intense towards the end there. And uh, all in all, I think you know there were some big performances uh, out of everybody here. Specifically, uh, I mean, Costner's always Costner. You're not going to get a smile out of him in the past, you know, however many years. Diane Lane does her uh, her her kind of motherly role that they they both have worked together obviously as uh, Mon Pa Kent in the past and they they have a, a dynamic that is very similar in this movie. Um, but I, I'd say Leslie Manville probably is is the one who really gets to chew the scenery the most and is the 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 craziest to watch and uh, kind of the the uh, antagonist for for uh, I mean there are a lot of them but. For for you know just nailing it down to one person, it's it's her uh, in this in this specific movie. And I, I mean, all in all, it felt a little like uh, I, I don't want to talk down to it, but it, it did feel a little like CBS's version of of a Taken film. Do you know what I mean? Where like the the NCIS <laughs> crowd, this is what they're going to want to see. Um, and, and it, it is that, but it's a well-made version of that. So I can't really talk down to it in that it, it's not a bad movie. It's definitely gripping and, and heartbreaking at times. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely recommend people check it out when it hits, uh, on Friday. Yeah. And, and before we get to you, Brian, I want to, uh, to, to just let the audience know who has probably not seen the movie yet. Leslie Manville, um, is 
the third lead in the movie. The, the movie clearly revolves around Diane Lane and Kevin Costner and their relationship as these grandparents that will do just about anything to get their grandson back. And Leslie Manville is the matriarch of the family that they have to go up against, basically. And 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 she is really great. And uh, she does chew the scenery, as you say, but in the best possible way. She is, she's oh, fantastic. Yeah. It was very, very entertaining. I loved it. Uh, Brian, go ahead. What do you think? Um, I definitely agree with everything you guys have said. Leslie Manville, absolutely just devouring the scenery. Um, I, I, I saw some comparisons to, to break down the Kurt Russell film, just in terms of like the kind of road movie, uh, I, I guess, feel. And then certainly the, the, the family that they go up against, um, there is there is definitely definitely some cheesiness, um, but there is a lot of emotion too. I, I you know definitely will give Diane Lane a a lot of credit in that regard. Um, I, I definitely won't say that there's bad performances in this movie. This is a Kevin Costner film and a Kevin Costner setting for sure. I mean, this sort of a movie fits him like a glove. Um, just seeing him out there in just rural America. Um, is really where he he belongs for anyone who's seen the postman one of my all-time favorite <laughs> movies by the way um th- this is th- this really does fit him well um and yeah i i definitely would would not say it's bad i think um i think everybody does a, a fine job and it, it it flows very well it goes by quickly um there were parts where i felt yeah, this is starting to drag but then something would happen either whether it was a uh, you know Diane Lane doing some of the heavy lifting or um you know the some of the dialogue would help keep things going at a good pace i just overall it this is it's a movie i probably could see myself watching again to be completely honest um i won't go out of my way to do that but i i definitely would not turn it off if i saw it on tbs one saturday afternoon so um uh, let him go yeah I, well, I also want to. I also want to bring up Jeffrey Donovan. Uh, yes. Book, Blair Witch Two, Book of Shadows, Jeffrey Donovan. Uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> other people may know him from Burn Notice or. <laughs> he does a really great, uh, like menacing, villainous type in this movie, and and uh, it yeah. very much fits in with Leslie Manville's uh, matriarch character. I, I, yeah, in, in transitioning, I, I really think that, uh, if there was one word to describe his performance or I assume when he was handed the script and he was like, so what do you guys want me to do with this? They just said creepy because (laughs) he, he really is creepy in this movie. And every sentence he says, he says with this smile on his face, that is just, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty unbelievable to yeah. watch and he's got a way of being charismatic and creepy at the same time which is very kind of yeah for me it, it it really is and it and it's it's one of those things it's it's like an x-factor you know it's something you have to you it's not something to be taught clearly because not everybody can do it but but he really does a really great job but but getting back to to the leads here diane lane and kevin costner you mentioned kevin costner really feeling at home in this movie and it almost feels reverse engineered. It feels like they were, they were, I know yes. this is based on a book, so this isn't the truth, but 
it almost feels like, okay, we have Kevin Costner. We want to tell this type of story. How do we do it? And they're like, well, obviously you said it in Montana, like he's doing in Yellowstone. And yeah. you, you know, you said it in the, I, I think it's early 60s. And, you know, he just has to to be his grumpy self. And and I that does sound a little bit terrible of me to say, but it, it works really well. He's He's really good and he plays the part perfectly. And it's 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 really great when you see him opposite Diane Lane because you have this his grandpa who's you know very he's a former sheriff and he's very much a law and order type guy and he loves his family clearly but you can tell he's not the type of guy that might you know hug a lot and Diane Lane on the other hand is this kind of doting grandma who is all about the love and all about the affection and and they really play off each other really well especially when push comes the to literal shove and you know they have to step up to to really literally fight for their grandson and and when that happens they're them together they're acting opposite of each other for the first half of the movie is just it, it all pays dividends because you see them and and you feel everything and um when the action does ramp up you're you're really invested which i think is great and leslie manville uh she's she's something else in this movie <laughs> at, at first i i i had to i didn't know who who was playing that character i i didn't really think it was leslie manville to be honest with you it wasn't until after the movie i'm like who was that and, and i saw and i'll tell you what she's she's unlike anything you've you've really seen her do before especially if you're familiar with her from phantom thread she's playing this sort of evil matriarch and much like what we said about donovan or jeffrey donovan she's doing it with this this cold smile and she says things that are just uh, it, it it could venture into the realm of like caricature or super villainy, but she <laughs> says it in such a weird, uh, such a sincere way that you just are are completely uh, menaced by her, which is is exactly what she needed to do. And all in all, I I, I know Brian, you said this is. Uh, something you would see on tbs and i think that actually you know if if movies still played on cable like they used to back in the day this is a tbs movie uh it does <laughs> yeah. feel like a movie aimed at a an older generation but even still i think it's i think it's well acted well directed and, and thoroughly enjoyable agreed yes. i think we all agreed on something <laughs> I was I was waiting for somebody to tell me that I was completely wrong. Um, so so I want to I also want to talk about the fact that you said, uh, Mike, that you said that yeah. this felt a little bit like a procedural. If you want to explain more about that, because I, I didn't really get that vibe from it. I, I, I No, no, I, I didn't say it was necessarily a, like an NCIS episode. I just said it was kind of made for that NCIS crowd in that uh, uh it, it's definitely pitched towards the older generation and it's uh an old, more old school kind of story where you know kevin costner is the reserved lawman who shows no emotion but is very much the all that is good kind of thing and then you know diane lane is uh the the you know loving and, and doting mother and uh, I mean, a lot of it just felt very old school to me, but it's it's a Kevin Costner flick and it's what works for him. And like I said, I have no problem with it with it being that way. It just took me, you know, a little time to to come around uh, to, to what it actually was, because I was I was expecting a completely different movie. But but ultimately, uh, like I said, I, I did enjoy it. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. This is, uh, I think, if you, if you had to describe this in, in one word, it would be kind of old school. This is mm-hmm. a movie, there's no... Uh, there's no flashy CGI to be seen. This is a movie that is uh, got a clear story. Um, the the characters aren't two dimensional by any stretch, but it's clear who the the good guys and the bad guys are. There's there's no denying who you're rooting yeah. for and who you're rooting against. And uh, I think that would have been a movie that could have been boring. But right as you start to to wonder where the movie's going, I think it really kicks up that that last act and 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 goes for it yeah yeah they certainly uh leave it all on the the floor as it were very much (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh quite a scene any last thoughts brian no i i i did um one other thing i want to point out just because i i am a film score guy the the score really does work well uh they make the most with with um I would say very limited resources, not on purpose. Just this is a very effective film in that regard that, you know, they can take material that we've seen before. I mentioned breakdown and uh, and make it work here. And again, I just would I would 100 percent say that that is it goes to the cast. The cast works well. Diane Lane and Kevin Costner play off each other quite well. And it just seems almost like, like they've done it before. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, to the point I where actually, I was wondering, like Cavill to pop out, guys. I really. Did. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that'll be uh, let him go too. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I, I really did enjoy this one. And it was to the point where I thought, did they make multiple movies together? But no, I can just think of Man of Steel. Um, that was how good their chemistry was. So, yeah, uh, please check this one out, folks. It's 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 a good yeah, and and I I think uh, I also want to mention Boo Boo Stewart, who uh, plays Peter, and I don't know if he's a character that's in any of the trailers or marketing, but plays a pretty pivotal role in the movie, and uh, it caught me off guard because when you first meet this character, you're wondering what the heck is he doing in this movie, but it's actually a little bit refreshing because uh, a problem I know personally I find with movies that kind of follow this sort of formula where you have older actors doing this kind of old school story, good versus evil is that they, they tend to, uh, to be very same, same. And Mm -hmm. I think adding Peter, uh, who's the native American kid who has a a really, uh, touching monologue, I guess, towards the, the end of the film, I think added a whole other dimension to the movie that I wasn't expecting. And uh, he actually taught me something about uh, our own history in this country, which I was, you know, completely ignorant about. And uh, I I just, you know, it was part of the movie that I don't think matters much to the actual plot. They could have done it without him, but I think the movie's better because he's in it. Yeah, I I would absolutely say that's true. Um, He was definitely like a little, you know, piece of the heart of the movie. Um, and, and it's, it's something that could have easily, um, been kind of mishandled or gone, you know, the wrong way and, and been kind of cringy in the film, but the way they, they executed was, was really great. I, I kept thinking of, you know, it's the type of movie you think like, what if Clint Eastwood directed this? And, uh, when it comes to Boo Boo Stewart's character, 
I can't help but think of how badly it could have gone if Clint Eastwood directed this movie. <laughs> and I, I, you know, that might uh, make me a little unpopular with fans of Clint Eastwood, but I just, I, yeah, he's Boo Boo Stewart. I mean, is a, a great part of this movie and, you know, I think uh, he's handled really well and I think he acts the hell out of his small role and um, really, like you said, brings part of the heart back to it as well. Now that we're done talking about Let Him Go, which I think we all three can agree is a, a movie worth checking out, if if not at the theaters, maybe when it comes to uh, PVOD. But um, next, I'd like to talk about our second film that we watched, which is Jungle Land, which is also coming out this Friday. And that movie is from director Max Winkler, and it stars Charlie Hunnam, uh, Jack O'Connell and Jessica Barden. And that film is about a uh, it's really about two brothers one of which is a bare knuckle boxer and the other is kind of his hype man slash manager. And it's about these brothers going cross country for a, a payday at a, a boxing tournament and, and how that might affect their lives moving forward. And I want to uh, start with Mike cause uh, we do, we are going to speak with Max, but before we get to that, I want to, uh, to ask you what you thought about this movie real quick. Yeah, I really, really liked it. Like, I was expecting, like, just a straight-up kind of fight movie uh, with these two, but it was really a, a great little character movie about two brothers. And, uh, I mean, obviously there uh, is another major character, uh, Sky, played by Jessica Barden, who has a, a fairly big impact on the film, but ultimately it's a, it's a movie about these two dudes, played by Charlie Hunnam and, and Jack O'Connell, who are – uh, I mean, Jack is, is consistently great in everything he's in. Um, and Charlie, this time, I, I think he really knocked it out of the park as far as being that that older brother that is both uh, endearing and, and someone that you just, like, shake your head at the whole movie. Like, come on, man, get it together. And, and you're rooting for him, but he's just he's, – he's one of those, those older brothers that you're just – it's it's hard to watch him mess up time after time, but it's it's one of those dynamics where, you know, you're seeing them travel across country and uh, you get this really intimate portrait, both of of like these two impoverished individuals. But you also um, kind of the, the whole like crime drama that's going on around it uh really helps things kind of pulse along so it never gets like boring or uh you know uh, uh anything like that where you'd you'd kind of start rolling your eyes or checking your watch i i was pretty engaged the whole time and thought there were a lot of great performances just even outside of the the two main performances like uh jonathan majors shows up for uh, a couple minutes and knocks it out of the park and as i said jessica barden uh, is is really great and there's a lot of uh, other little bit parts where where people shine uh in in like the small amounts that they're given but really this is this is largely charlie and jack's film and, and they both do really really well agreed agreed uh brian what did you think i enjoyed this as well um as a a fan of these of any film that really revolves around boxing i, I mean just thinking back recently like i really loved bleed for this and rocky films i mean this one was definitely different definitely more intimate like you said mike um and yeah i i think that's kind of the the theme here with the movies from this week is is really that the the chemistry between the leads um the the casting in general was great but 
those three leads really worked really worked well together. And after, you know, seeing films, you know, Charlie Hunnam, where uh, he's been, I would say, you know, good to great. Um, this was a, a film where I really, I, maybe for the first time, saw that this guy really has potential to be just completely awesome. I really love the way he worked off Jack O'Connell, especially, um, you know, when all three of them were working together, there was a, a really good, I mean, they really had a way of, of, of dialing up the emotion, but then bringing it back right away. There's a, a couple of scenes like, um, you know, that one in the hotel room, for example, where she's just, you know, yelling at them to Jessica's yelling at them to let her go and let me go, let me go. Like that's one scene I can think of as being just a great example of, of, you know, bringing it up, but then knowing how to dial it back again. So not your straightforward boxing film by any means, uh, you know, definitely see this one for the performances. They're, they're just terrific. Yeah, that's not I would, to say uh, the boxing is bad either. I mean, even though no. they, they varied the fights enough that it was interesting and, and yes. it was like, obviously, there, there's been boxing movies all over the place and, and we address that later. But uh, it, it's still a very, I'd say it, it has its own unique take on it. And obviously, this is the bare knuckle, you know, yeah. um, arena or whatever you'd call it. So I, I thought it was a really interesting way to come at like a fighting movie. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I I really enjoyed this movie, and 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 to to harp on what you guys were saying as well, Charlie Hunnam really does well in this movie, and he's an actor that uh, I I watched Sons of Anarchy, and and for all its faults, I think uh, it's a pretty enjoyable show, and and a large part of that is is his performance in that show, and so since then I've I've always rooted for for Charlie Hunnam, and you know, and just when you think he's doing something good, like he'll do a movie like The Lost City of Z, where you're like, okay, this is this is good. Char- Charlie Hunnam's is ready, and then he turns around and, and he does like a King Arthur or, um, you know, Triple Frontier, where you're like, okay, well, you know, and and you start to lose your your faith in him a bit. I'll say I, I enjoyed the King Arthur movie. I know we're not talking about it, but I I thought it was pretty good for what it was. No, I I. Yes. Uh, Arthur <laughs> may have its faults. Charlie, I don't, Charlie Hunnam, I don't believe is, is giving his, uh, his best in that movie. I, Correct. and, and, and I only say that not to, to say that he was not working hard, but only because after you see him in jungle land, you're like, wow, this, this is, this is what Charlie Hunnam can do. And, you know, he's, he set a, a bar for it that now you're, you're going to expect that in movies. And, yeah. You know, I, I think he is a varied actor. He's done a few good movies over the past year. The Gentleman, I think, is is pretty good and, and shows a weird, uh, a slightly off side of him that you don't see much. And then he was in a movie, uh, True History of the Kelly Gang, which also shows a, a different side of him. But I, I, I'll tell you what, after Jungle Land, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what he does next. And uh, that isn't to take away from Jack O'Connell either, who has proven himself to be a, a really great actor. He's he's been in a number of movies. Unbroken uh, is probably his most famous. He was also recently in Seaberg. Um, he also had a role in a, a TV show that I know uh, the playlist own Rodrigo Perez loves, which is Godless. And I, I I think he doesn't disappoint either. And and his role in the movie is is very difficult because he's playing a boxer first and foremost, which 
is difficult to do in a movie because you have to sell the fact that you're an athlete. But also, he has to play this this character who's not the brightest, uh, who might be a bit of a a jock, but he brings so much emotion to it that it's he's just like it's pouring out of him. It's it's beautiful actually. And then uh, and Jessica Barden is is great as uh, Sky. She really kind of adds a little bit of a spice to the mix that uh, that really takes this relationship that is clear between two brothers and and is an emotional relationship and really just kind of flips it on his head in a wonderful way. Uh, all that to say, love the movie. Uh, it's very enjoyable and I highly recommend it. Uh, before we get to the interview with Max, is there any last thoughts you guys have about it? No, that pretty much covers it. I, I really recommend it. I hope yeah. it generates enough conversation that there's some awards attention for it, but it might be a little early for that. Uh, it might be, um, uh, you know, presumptuous of me to, to kind of say that this deserves it. But I, I really thought that uh, Charlie Hunnam and, and Jack O'Connell really leveled up their game and gave some performances that are worthy of, of such a conversation. So, I mean, this year is strange as it is. We'll see what happens when the awards come out or if they even happen at all. But uh, I think they're, they're certainly worthy of considering. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I agree with that. And uh, so what we'd like to do now is uh, welcome Max Winkler to the show. We're going to talk with him for a little bit about jungle land. Welcome to the playlist podcast, Max Winkler, director of jungle land co-writer of Jungle Land as well. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm happy to be here. Great, great. So uh, before we we get into the nitty gritty about Jungle Land, I wanted to, to ask you about the topic that everybody's talking about, which is the the pandemic right now. And and in relation to releasing a movie during this time, uh, yeah. what's particularly interesting, I think, is you debuted this movie at TIFF last year and, and, you know, the world was completely different. And now a year later, it's, it's like, you know, a completely different industry. So what's it like uh, talking about this movie and, and seeing how it's changed over a year? It's bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre to talk about movies in a, in a serious way, you know, obviously when so many people are out of work and in so much pain from everything that's going on in the country, I feel humbled and lucky that, we're getting to release the movie. I mean, we, we premiered in Toronto last year. We sold it in Toronto last year. It was supposed to come out significantly earlier and then, and the world stopped. And um, so many of my friends have made movies that are just in complete purgatory. They have no idea what's going to happen with it. And so the fact that this movie's coming out is, I feel I have to like remind myself how, how lucky I am. I mean, I, I, it's it's crazy obviously and i don't know what's gonna happen like i really miss going to movies in theaters i i, I was like one of those people that would like i'd rather see marriage story in a theater than than a, i'd rather see anything in a theater except like from paris with love i'd rather watch at home or something like that but like like i i i miss that experience and i'm sad that the traditional theater experience, which was the intention of how we shot this movie and how we wanted it to be presented to the world. And that a lot of people aren't going to get to have that experience who weren't at Toronto and who don't get to go to drive drive-ins and whoever the Cowboys are that are still going to movies indoors right now. Um, I'd like to shake their, shake their hands six feet apart, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's really strange and um, I try to just, I, I'm, I'm really happy though that, um, Paramount has been so, 
supportive in, in getting it out to as many people as they can. Yeah, I, I I think it's great that they're doing that, of course. It's a movie that we covered back in, in TIFF last year and uh, we enjoyed. And it's a movie that just, you know, as somebody who writes for the playlist, we've covered, you know, when it was announced that Charlie Hunnam was going to be starring in the movie, you know. So it's it's great that even in this time when even though we can't see it in theaters, that we're still getting access to it in some way. Um, I also... Uh, I couldn't help. This is also another pandemic question. I'm sorry, but I couldn't help but watch this movie and think about how it reminded me how strange it is to watch a movie during this time and think like nobody's wearing masks. Uh, they're not social distancing. In fact, they're bleeding all over each other. Somebody should stop them. Uh, is that something that uh, you've been thinking about as you watch movies now? or All the time. Like I, I can't get over it. And this movie in particular, because there's so much physical affection and touching between Charlie Hunnam and Jack O'Connell um, that um, I, I just, we wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's so strange watching, watching movies during this time, which I've watched so many of um, and, and seeing um, people be close and, and looking at crowd scenes and wondering how they did it. I mean, it's, it's strange. Yeah. I, I, do you ever think like what would have happened if, you know, fast forward or rewind a couple of years and you're making this movie and somebody told you, well, here are the restrictions. Go ahead. You know, yeah, I think you would have turned it to a laser tag. <laughs> <laughs> the line would have been a prodigy um, laser tag player. I, I would have watched it still. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Might be better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but uh we, the world is in dire need of a laser tag movie, so. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I'll, the next one. I'll get on it, yeah. <laughs> so that boxing fight movie genre that, that we're talking about here, it's been kind of touched in a lot of different ways and from a lot of different angles. Yeah. Is there a reason you kind of decided, you know, versus, you know, laser tag movie, why why the boxing movie? Was there is there something that kind of sticks with you, a movie that sticks with you or or what was I, it? I never I, I loved movies that have been made about boxing. I, I obviously I think movies I think Rocky is like an actual masterpiece and the script is a masterpiece and like just in what an incredible giant of a writer Sylvester Stallone is. But I never I, I put this more if it's in a fight movie anyways, I put it more in the category of like Fat City or or um, Hard Times with Charles Bronson. But um, I never saw it as a fight movie. You know, I saw the fighting as a as a helpful element to, to have an engine. I love writing about boxing. I love the writing that's been done about it, you know, by Joyce Carol Oates. And it's a very American, started in England, obviously, but it, I think it's a very American thing of like, actually being able to use your fists in the middle of a ring surrounded by people and to fight out of your class and like keep going up. And it's just like for a movie that's so American and about these guys kind of trying to make the world work for them the way they think it should. And then having the harsh reality that that's kind of not how it works and thinking that they're owed this piece of the American pie that just has no interest in them whatsoever. Um, boxing felt like a really great metaphor, especially like, and Joyce Carol Oates writes a lot about it. I'm not as interested in the people who like to punch. I'm more interested in the people who actually like to take beatings and like what that's working out for them. And, you know, the, the main character of the movie doesn't want to fight. It's not in his interest, you know, but everyone else is, if he's the sun and everyone's kind of orbiting around him, like the moon's trying to 
reflect off of him what they want and trying to take his one thing that he has it's kind of pure um he's sort of left with that conflict of like do i accept my nature that there is like this wild animal inside me that i don't know how to contain and that i don't want to identify with um or do i open up my dry cleaning business and 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 the people around him that are sort of projecting onto him what they want him to be kind of leaves him with with the decision which i thought was like a really interesting conflict um potentially for a movie absolutely but then again it would have been better if it was laser tag (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to do this I just, uh, yeah, especially the end scene. Now that you've mentioned laser tag, I'm just imagining the the final battle and the the immense emotion that could have happened. Anyway, yes. There would be we'll so throw a little Bruce Springsteen of... over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now speaking of that, harder, we might have had a harder time getting the song if it was just slow motion shots. Of yeah. People just like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that, I was there any temptation to just throw in the jungle land? itself or was it too on the nose for you never the movie i wrote the movie so long ago the original movie was called lion before fucking the the movie lion came out with dev patel um and we had to change it and i couldn't figure out what and like the spirit of bruce springsteen is so important in the movie and in my life he's one of my heroes i love him amen and you know he writes this and, and to answer the boxing question um he talks about music, you know, he writes this incredibly personal music that ends up being able to be um, adopted by people as anthems and universal, um, you know, arena rock. But the songs are mostly about anxiety and depression and, and you know, the darkness of, in, in people's souls and outside of the cities. And like he someone he describes how to write those songs, like you listen to Dancing in the Dark and Dancing in the Dark is you know, no, if you're just listening to it sort of passively, it just sounds like a great song of like a great love song. But if you actually listen to the verses, he's talking about how he hates the way he looks and he feels like a loser. And all he wants to do is get away and crawling out of his skin. And he talks about songwriting as um, um, blues in the verse and gospel in the chorus. And that's how you get them. And, and that's kind of like the boxing is kind of like the gospel, just because even as you see in the trailer, of the movie, which is, I think a, very good as far as getting people to go and see the movie, but it it makes the movie feel like there's much more of sort of like a fighting element to it. But then the male melodrama of it and like these two guys trying to figure out how to properly say, I love you to the other one without hurting them is the, is the blues, I guess. And so I think the boxing kind of gave us the means to tell this story in a way that I kind of, it could be be extremely personal and and also you know someone could just be like yeah the fighting was cool yeah no i was really happy with the results of it just because i i saw the trailer i thought it was going to be like full on fight movie and then all of a sudden you have all this great character uh building in the in the middle of it between especially between the the main 3 who have amazing chemistry where they like did they like hit it off right away where what was it there yeah, you know, there's not a lot of time for anyone to do rehearsals anymore, you know, just in yeah. the nature of everyone's schedules. And 
all three of the leads are from the north of England, ironically, which is really similar to the locations where we were shooting, you know, Fall River, Massachusetts, New Bedford, Massachusetts, cities that were once the most wealthy places in the entire world that have since fallen under harder times. And, and um, you know, Charlie's from New, Newcastle, Jack's from Derby, and Jess is from Yorkshire. And I think they all related to that, the sort of a mice and men gypsy like aspect of what it means to leave your hometown constantly looking for a sense of home and being unable to find it as as doing what what they do for a living and um you know charlie kept saying you know these guys are these guys are from newcastle like these are the guys that that i that that are calling me from the call centers in newcastle and jess you know grew up with two brothers in a in a um in a house in yorkshire and and jack you know followed the followed the Derby Rams football club around and you know they they all related to these characters so much all they needed to do was was to get the accents which I thought they all did incredibly and all accessed it in different ways but they they are so connected in the sense of place of where they come that um they 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 got on really quickly and fell into their roles really quickly yeah it looked effortless it really did thank you yeah, the uh, the thing that's interesting about that is is until you mentioned the the fact that they're all from England, you know, obviously, you know, I knew that going into the movie, you're familiar with these actors and you've seen them in other things, but watching the movie, you just that like you said, the accents are great, uh, they all the chemistry is great that you just assume this is such an American movie with such an American cast and telling such an American story. But then here you are saying like, oh no, this could have been easily transplanted to the north of England and and maybe still in the same movie. Totally, it, it could have been. It could have been in Andrew. It could have like been a movie in England and, and been told through the lens, you know, God willing, of like Andrea Arnold or Lynn Ramsey or something like that. Like it, it's a universal story about just family that love each other but don't like each other and are just crawling with their fingernails for the last visages of just trying to figure out a better life and I don't know Charlie's character and Charlie's performance always moves me when because he's just he's so hopeful no matter what he keeps thinking the world's gonna work out the way he wants it to if he can just keep moving and um I don't know it's just something like we always talked about Charlie's character as like more Willie Loman than anything else like he just like He's working it so hard to try and sell the vacuum, you know, the best he can. And and the problem is the vacuum he's selling, which is his brother, doesn't want to be a vacuum. You know, it's kind of like something that was really influential in the movie. And um, were these old Looney Tunes, um, Chuck Jones um, shorts with the frog that performs, Michigan J. Frog, you know, and like he starts performing show tunes and you're like, holy shit, I can make money on this. And then you take him and you book out the Hollywood bowl for him to perform. And then he just becomes a frog again. And it's like this sort of experience with Charlie where it's like, I'm giving you these opportunities and now you're telling me you're not in the mood to fight. It's like, I I don't know what to do here. Kind of almost like a single mother trying to get a kid into college. And then he can then finally, once he knows he's going to be okay, he can finally just like take a break and fade away into the darkness and the shadows. Um, Yeah. That just that just reminds me of uh, one particular scene, not to give anything away, but there's a, a scene in a restaurant that kind of escalates to uncomfortable levels. Like yeah. it's uh, the best type of cringe you feel in a movie where you're just right. like, come on, guys, come on, guys, you know, and, and that 
couldn't have been possible without I think Charlie fully embracing that idea that you know that character of who he is and man yeah it just uh to go off there and, and talk about again the chemistry is is unreal especially in that scene that's my favorite scene of the movie at the pizzeria and I just we shot that really early on too and it was really strange, you know, like crew pe- people, especially, you know, the crew in, in um, Massachusetts is like pretty reserved with like, you know, giving uh, a lot of um, praise <laughs> and um, they're amazingly talented and they're all craftsmen, but it was just like, um, I remember like we did the first um, like sort of um, medium shot of the two of them going back and forth together and, and both telling both making their case and they both believe the other one is right like deeply in their bones neither one thinks they're saying anything that's not right and I remember we cut I cut and the crew clapped and I was like fuck this is like must be like an albatross like we're all gonna die or something but it I remember thinking like that is so rare it was the first time it had ever happened on a set I had been on and I, I couldn't, I couldn't um, believe how good they both were because they both had such conviction over that what their character was doing was right. And and the relationship between Charlie and Jack was so brotherly, um, the way they fucked with each other and the way they wrestled and the way they looked after each other and cared for each other that um, filming that scene where they finally got to say everything um, was really satisfying for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I know we only have a limited time with you. So I wanted to throw it to Brian, who uh, has a question he'd like to ask that might be a little bit non jungle land related. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause a, a lot of great, uh, you know, things have been covered here and, and I, I think we're all in agreement about, you know, how we feel about jungle land. Is that the mayor from film. back to the future behind you. That is uh, Mayor Goldie Wilson, yes, yeah. on this election day, <laughs> yes. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Progress is his middle name, or is that yeah. Red Thomas? I don't remember. Okay, but um, but uh, yeah, before <laughs> before we let you go, um, can we talk about? I I would say what I can assume is the highlight of your career so far, which is your role as. Uh, boy in bathroom in Cop and a Half. Can you tell me more about that? Take as much time as you need. <laughs> My line, I had two lines. I had two alt lines. That was like the first real set I had been on. It was in Tampa, Florida. And it was one of like the first tastes I got of like what the ecosystem and community of being on a film set is like. And I was in heaven. And um, I had two lines. I remember really looking up to the two bullies. One of them was on Clarissa, I think. And I had two lines. One one was I'm history, which is what stuck in the cut. And the other one was I'm a blur. And I had a really hard time getting out. I'm a blur. And I always remember thinking like I should be an actor because my dad's an actor. And like it feels um, like the right thing to do. And I remember knowing that I wasn't good and then continuously freezing. And I just like. <laughs> I just knew I wasn't a good actor. And I still keep thinking like when a friend asks me that I'm going to like show up and be very good. And um, I'm continuously um, stunned at how uh, bad I am at, at the job. But um, I, I'm proud of that. I think I was wearing a blue shirt and probably like acid washed, like bum sort of swim trunks. And um, I actually also appear later in the movie um, during like the great, 
um, sort of civil war that takes place at the school where, where they where they fight back at the Italian gangsters with um, <laughs> milk cartons and Twinkies. And I think I you see me again throwing Twinkies and, and milk cartons. And I think like there's there's like an homage to the um, to the old Robin Hood Prince of Thieves um, like arrow shot. I remember that was like a big deal. And um, I, I think I'm responsible for one of like the really good shots. But that I, someone should make like an Apocalypse Now version of the making of Cop in the House. <laughs> like, like the Hearts of Darkness story of like my dad, who's literally the nicest person I've ever met, like trying to wrangle Burt Reynolds, who was like throwing stunt women like into bars, like on rehearsal. <laughs> like, when what a great idea. <laughs> it just was like a crazy time. And like, I feel like it, it kind of like the heaven's gate in some way. It'll be like we're <laughs> back to an, like a Peter B- Biskin book at some point. I hope that oh, that man. sounds way better than it deserves to be. But uh, oh. <laughs> one last thing um, yeah. before, before we really let you go, uh, what, what's going on with you right now? Do you have projects you're working on? Is there, has the pandemic thrown everything out the window? Uh, no, I, I just finished a pilot that I shot in, in Texas. that will be on in, in March that I think will be really good. And, and um, I'm going to make another movie this spring with Charlie um, that I wrote over the pandemic um, based on a book, uh, this, this, this a memoir of this guy named Ben Moon, who kind of left his marriage, left his sort of corpo job in Portland and just like checked out and started living in his van with his dog and um, traveling around the Pacific Northwest, like part of like this dirtbag generation, just like rock climbing and 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 living off the land and shit and the book was amazing and charlie and i read it and i wrote it really quickly and um we're making that with albert berger and ron yorkson who i really love and and we're gonna make that that feels like a movie that you can so much of it is just a guy and his dog like silently walking around bend oregon like smith rock the forest so i I, it feels like a movie we're really cautiously optimistic that we'll get to make that this winter and spring um based on, you know, I was just on a set shooting and, and things really move differently now with, with all the protocols in place that are necessary to keep everyone safe. But are you going to keep the same dog around or is it, did, was that one a diva that worked on Jungle Land? That dog, <laughs> dog, obviously the first thing everyone says whenever they read something is like, you can't, you can't have the dog. And I knew that it, I was like, we need to have a whip it. And they were like, why? I was like, because it's going to really humanize Jack's character and it's going to make him so tender because that dog is so tender and you've never seen a fucking Whippet in a movie before. So we meet the dog trainer who's obviously like just like a legendary character and like she like is by far and away like requires the most time on set, like just like real legend. <laughs> and she was like, you cannot... You cannot, I'm, I'm telling you, you cannot hire a Whippet. I was like, we need it. And she was like, you can't. They're the worst trained animals on the planet. <laughs> scared of everything. And I was like, we don't, well, we don't need them to do anything except the big laser tag finale at the end. With fire. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need them to do anything. Just like, can it just stay still? Like, can it stay in Jack's lap? And she was like, um, no, I can't guarantee that. I was like, we'll figure it out. And I honestly, like, I think it was worth it for, like, pure aesthetic value. I just think it's such a – I love dogs, and I think it's such a beautifully tender 
animal that I thought could really reflect like the inside of, of lion's interior, which is like, you know, kind of like a stunted pre-adolescent in this like kind of body that he's not even really comfortable in for Jack's character. And, and, um, but we will not be, we will not be traveling that dog to Oregon. Um, <laughs> there, were two, there was like three whippets and they were amazing. And I actually, I'm really, um, I'm really pleased with uh, what they brought. Yeah. No, I mean, that worked very well. Yeah. The, uh, the, again, to reference the scene in the pizzeria, I mean, without the dog, there is no scene. That's uh, crucial. Right. You're right. And that dog. Yeah. The dog, that was a good, that was a good boy. I think that was a very good boy. I was really, um, I was, I was thrilled with the, I was thrilled with it. Okay. Want to thank Max Winkler for joining us. And uh, before we finish this episode, as we try to do every episode, I'd like to uh, throw it to you guys and see if there's anything you guys have watched over the past week, any films that you want to recommend to the listeners, maybe uh, things that you thought about while watching the movies that we were discussing this week. So first I'll start with Brian. Yeah, um, I know that we had talked off mic about, you know, we've, we've watched a lot of horror and scary movies lately, obviously with Halloween just being a few days uh, removed by now. But um, one I revisited that I hadn't seen for a, a number of years that I realized is really a phenomenal movie is uh, Steve Jobs. I watched that one again um, just the other day, and I... I I have to recommend that if you haven't seen this movie, it's on Netflix right now. Uh, Danny Boyle uh, directs this very um, unconventional, I won't even say biopic of Steve Jobs. Uh, It's told in three acts. It's got that very traditional, typical Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the screenplay, um, style of dialogue and takes these events in Steve Jobs' life, um, three product launches, and tries to work in uh, all these other aspects. It it very much works like a play, as does a lot of what Aaron Sorkin um, has has done over the years. But Michael Fassbender, I think, is fantastic as uh, as Jobs. Um, As his, I guess, assistant, I, I don't really know too much about her character, but Kate Winslet is just as good. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think she won the Oscar. She won Best Supporting Actress for this gentleman. Can you correct me on this if I'm wrong? I may be wrong. I think I I'm can neither affirm nor deny this. Okay. Well, uh, either way, she's she's great. She's very good. And um, she just she was nominated but did not win, as was Michael Fassbender. Ah. Okay. Well. Uh, well, they should have won. Um, I don't know. Was that the year of the Revenant? Now that I think about it, did that was 2016, and uh, nominated with Fassbender was DiCaprio and the Revenant. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay, okay, never mind. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't go against that. No. Um, but yeah, yeah lost Steve... to Alicia Vikander, who of course is married oh. to Fassbender. Um, she uh, was in the Danish Girl. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Steve Jobs would be my rec, reco for the week. Reco, by the way, that's a Boiler Room reference when he yells reco. Anybody see yeah. Boiler Room? No. <laughs> Boiler Room is a great movie, by the way. It but is a great movie. Here, no Thank thing. you. Uh, Mike, what, what, what's, what's on your mind with uh, recommendations? I'm going to go with Boiler Room. No. I, 
okay. Well, I, I have nothing against Boiler Room. Um, the <laughs> the movie that popped into my head most, especially while we were watching um, Jungle Land, was was Good Time for me. So uh, always one of those that I I reach into the the old bag for when people are like Robert Pattinson shouldn't be Batman. Uh, I definitely recommend uh, checking out Good Time if you haven't yet. Check it out. It's the Safdie brothers who did Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler, uh, and and it's really just this super tense uh, story about brothers on the run after a bank robbery, and it's it's uh, an unbelievable performance by Robert Pattinson. And like this is the one that that really won me over for him. I know he has other other roles that have kind of piqued my interest. Certainly his his little piece in The Lost City of Z. Speaking of Charlie Hunnam, yes, uh, and uh, the Rover obviously came out before that, but uh, I mean, Good Time was really the one where I was like, this guy can bring it, and I hope he's in everything. So, uh, check out Good Time. It's intense. It's awesome. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, I'm. I would be shocked if there are very many listeners that uh, that have not seen Good Time. Um, but it's it's a movie I think Mike would would agree is is something worth revisiting from time to time just to to get that dose of anxiety (laughs) yes as if we don't need enough anxiety as it is but you know uh as as for myself um just thinking about diane lane who uh you know is in a number of good movies but uh you know i i can't go with any of the the movies that people probably think about you know she was in unfaithful she was in just a number of good movies right the movie I think about with Diane Lane is Jumper. Uh, yes, we're talking about the Hayden Christensen Jumper movie. Um, not a movie that many people enjoy, but I, I tend to uh, to watch it from time to time. It holds a special place in my heart. It's a movie about Hayden Christensen with the power to teleport. He's trying to impress Rachel Bilson and uh, escape the clutches of Samuel L. Jackson, who has probably one of the worst hairstyles in all of movies. Absolutely. Um, that being yeah. said, not sure it's a movie for everybody, but it's a movie I enjoyed quite a bit. And Diane Lane doesn't have a huge role, but she does have a pretty pivotal role in that movie. So if there's anybody out there that wants a, a dumb movie that, you know, features Diane Lane, maybe not, you know, giving an Oscar worthy performance, but but doing her best with what she's given Jumper. That that's my recommendation. Have either one of you guys seen Jumper? I've seen it. I think I actually rewatched it about a year and a half, two years ago. And I was like, that is not as bad as I feel like I remembered it to be. Um, <laughs> a and, and obviously, if I've ever heard yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's no masterpiece. There, there are definitely no. issues with it, but it's a Doug Lyman movie. And yeah, uh, David Goyer wrote the screenplay. So and obviously it's based on a lot of uh, uh, popular books. Um, so I'm. Have you read the books or any of either one of you guys read the book? No, but I watched that YouTube series that I believe is based on the same books, but just a different character. It Uh, is. I I actually I I watched Jumper, funny enough, and I enjoyed it so much that I actually did read the book. And the book is a very different story. Uh, In fact, I don't recommend if you like Jumper to read the book, but if you hate Jumper, Definitely give the book a try because they are different <laughs> stories completely, different tone, different uh, everything. The same basic idea, a kid who can teleport, you know, and what would you do with that power? But uh, the the book is very different. Not yeah. to go off on too much of a tangent. Sure. Hey, and, and there's a lot of cool little performances. I mean, even Kristen Stewart's in it. Michael Rooker's <laughs> in it. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Jamie Bell does a really great job. Oh um, yes, Jamie Bell. Yeah. He's, so he's also good. I think it's a solid pick. I mean, I I might even revisit it again just to see, you know, what's Charles hanging on to this damn Hayden Christensen movie for. Well, okay. If we're gonna do it like that, then I don't want to get your hopes up too much. It's it's not a good movie. I'll, I'll say that. But it's definitely, I think, a, a fun time, especially if you're in the mood to watch, uh, you know, Hayden Christensen teleport an entire car. Uh, this is your movie. Or a house, even. Yeah. Well, part of the house. I don't know that he does the whole house. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Spoiler alert. People are yeah. really getting into this. Yeah. Really, when it comes to. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, when it comes to Doug Lyman, you you could do worse. Yes. That would be Go. <laughs> yes. Go is a terrible film. I've never seen it. Yeah. It's, it's not great. But yeah. uh, I'm sure we're all waiting for Chaos Walking, the Doug Lyman yes. movie that's been done for years that uh, may uh, or may not ever see the light of day. Uh, I yeah. think has a 2021 release date, but will probably get pushed again. Um, yeah, we'll I did read those books, by the way, so I know the story that's oh. going there. I'm actually anticipating it, but I, I'm not expecting great things considering the the drama that's happened behind the scenes. Yeah, that's you know? a that's there's enough drama for a whole other episode. And and if Chaos Walking ever does hit theaters, be sure that we will talk about it because uh, <laughs> not only is it an interesting movie to talk about Doug Lyman and and his whole career, but I mean. It had, that movie, not to get off too off the rails, has Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley, and somehow is getting delayed uh, to infinity apparently. So yeah, yes, we'll see what we'll, happens. We'll see what happens. There's your <laughs> Doug Lyman update, guys. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, on that note, oh, and and you know, Doug Lyman also making the Tom Cruise space movie that's going to cost two hundred million dollars. FYI. I'm um, in. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, on that note, we will uh, say goodbye for this week. Uh, again, just to wrap up, Let Him Go and Jungle Land, both worth your time. So so if you are in a place that has theaters open and you're willing to uh, to risk it for it, I recommend probably Jungle Land on PVOD before you go see Let Him Go. But uh, if you want to do both, go right ahead. They're uh, both decent uh, shots at uh, thrillers involving family relations, familial relationship. Any last thoughts from you guys? Nothing from me here. Brian. Okay. No, just uh, <laughs> really, if, just avoid go. I mean, it's <laughs> we've seen better from, from Sir Lyman. Is he yeah. knighted? He's not knighted, is he? No, you need no. to be British for that to happen. I think, no. I think the, the queen actually said it was lost in the mail. Um, so it might be coming sooner than later but as of now he is not but uh, anyway guys uh, thanks for joining me this week Mike and Brian see you next week and uh, everybody have a great day bye, bye